Hey everyone, this is uh, Jacques Landry. I'm the uh, Cycling New Zealand CEO. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Genotsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show. Leadership is changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Jacques Landry. Jacques Landry is his name, and he is the CEO of Cycling New Zealand, a high-performance national sporting organisation. His background has many international achievements and appointments. He started racing road bikes competitively at the age of 17 at Quebec City in Canada. He made the national cycling team in Canada at the age of 20, competed in his first Olympic Games for Canada in road cycling in 1992 at the age of 23, and then again at the age of 27 in Atlanta, 1996. He retired from competitive cycling in 1998, and he was hired as a road cycling development coach for Cycling Canada in 1998 whilst working on completing his coaching degree which he completed in 2001. He was hired as a road coach at Bike NZ, now Cycling New Zealand, in 2003, where he went on to set up the European base for Kiwi cyclists in the south of France. He accompanied the Kiwi road by our riders at both the Athens and Beijing Games as the road coach. At the end of 2008, he was hired as a high-performance director at the Canadian Cycling Association, now Cycling Canada, and he led programs that yielded 12 Paralympic medals three Olympic medals, and two Olympic and Paralympic cycles, or over those two cycles, I should say. Jacques uh, was hired as a high-performance consultant at Cycling New Zealand in 2018 to assist the current high-performance director. In early 2019, he was appointed as the interim CEO at Cycling New Zealand and then successfully appointed to the role mid-2020 as the CEO of Cycling New Zealand. He has assisted other national sporting organizations in high-performance stru- uh, structuring, like Taekwondo in Canada, and he's also spoken at coaching conferences in Canada and Russia and has called upon to sit on numerous committees pertaining to high-performance, whether to be in cycling or any other multi-sport area. Jacques, hey, well, a big welcome to you to the show. Hey, happy to be uh, here, Dennis. Great to be here. Yep. Right. Thank you. Hey, I've given a, a, a good uh, introduction there for, uh, about your background, which is really exciting to hear and what you've done. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about your background? Can you tell me anything else? Oh, well, I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned uh, when I started cycling competitively, I, I guess at the age of 16, 17, I must say that I've, I've, I've ran the, the gamut of, of different sports before I, I kind of hitched on to hitch my wagon to cycling, uh, whether it be team sports or individual sports. And 
I stay with cycling just because of the um, you know what what it can bring me and and I'm not I, I would say being an athlete uh, in an individual sport I felt that cycling was uh, not only individual but also a team sport and I think that's helped me throughout the the years you know competing at the high level though the results that you, re- you achieve are individual results but they're they're greatly due to the uh, the teamwork that comes with with that so I was attracted by that and I think that's uh, I've carried uh, carried a lot of I learned what I've learned in cycling as an athlete to to my professional career whether it be coaching high performance director and and now as a as a CEO great and so how did you get into leadership I didn't purposely get into leadership if I'm honest I, I think it just <laughs> kind, of, kind of got it got me I got there um, I guess gradually I, th- I think we're we're all leaders in our own right to start with, uh, regardless of what we do. It's it's whether or not we want to embrace leadership and take it on or or not. I think for me, I, I do tend to to read now that I'm in this position of leadership. I do tend to read a lot of uh, different books and and tune into uh, what, you know podcasts like yours to uh, be able to actually hone my craft of, of leadership. I mean, mm-hmm. the um, books that I read, or whether it be uh, Brene Brown or Simon Sinek, et cetera, I'll, I'll, I'll go get into that because now it interests me. I, I would say when I started off as a coach, I mean, as a coach, you are a leader anyway. And uh, you just basically, I just got into it eventually and took on more and more responsibilities. You talk, uh, you talk in one of your podcasts about accountability, and I think that's, that's really important when you're a leader, whether it be a coach, a high performance director, or CEO, et cetera. And it's just, um, I, I felt that I was a person that, that can be... Uh, made responsible for a lot of things and, and accountable. And it's a it's an area where I'm comfortable with right now. You're not always comfortable, but I mean, you you basically pick up the tools to become uh, more and more accountable and, and trustworthy and communicative. So to answer your question, I think it's, it, I didn't look out for leadership, leadership found me and I'm, I'm embracing it as, as much as uh, anyone would. Mm, yeah, and I think the embracing thing is really important in the sense that you know, for a lot of leaders, they have the title, but they may not be embracing it and they may not be stepping up to the accountability because it is a responsibility, as you say. It's huge. And um, I'm not sure that everyone understands that. And for a lot of people, they actually, I, I love, I chuckle at it because the thing is they actually fall into it by mistake at times. Mm. And and then they're like, well, I don't know if I really want this. So I think embracing what you're saying is really important. Yeah, I, I think leadership is basically... You know, your you mentioned your title. I don't. I don't think leadership has to do with uh, with titles. I think it, it it has to do with actions that that people pose on a daily on a daily basis. I like to to use the the old term, which is you know you talk to talk, but you need to walk to walk as well. And I think that's really important uh, with regards to leaders. It's people I actually look at you, look at what you do every day, and your actions speak very loudly. And that's that's really important. So, yeah, that's that's. That's basically what I'm trying to do every every day is just ensure that, you know, what I say I would do, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. And that, that brings credibility with it, the trust and building up with it because you do do it, uh, which is really important. And um, yeah, I like it. And I think we're being judged as leaders all the time. And people are watching us because, you know, if we are saying things, then we're going to do certain things. That's great. The, the words that you just said there about leaders what they say had the actions, you know, the actions is really, really strong. But I think also what they say has massive impact on people around the world today. So we've got to be careful what we do while while still being us and being out there, not trying to be too cautious. But I think it's really important for sure. Hey, um, now this person could be alive or from history, 
So who's your favorite leader and why? <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm re- uh, reading Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land. And I've always admired him, you know, and, and especially with, with reading his memoirs right now. It's a long book. It's about 70, 700 pages. And I think that's one of two, uh, two memoirs that, uh, that he's, he's going to publish. Uh, so I really like his, I would say his parkour or his, his, you know, how he came to be where he is right now or, or where he was and where he still is. It demonstrates that it's not always easy. I think the uh, the path to success is not linear, and there's some challenges all, all the way. And it's a way that you embrace those challenges. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, Obama is one leader that that I really admire. You know, the, the way that obviously, in, as a president in the public eye, it's all about diplomacy. And I think in in reading what he's um, you know what he accomplished uh, throughout his two terms, even before when he was working. Uh, at state level, you can really see that in, in his mind, it's all about how you communicate, how do you get out in front of people, how you make yourself available, and, and how you all, everything is, as you mentioned, I mean, they're always under, under the scrutiny of everybody and uh, under the microscope. And, and definitely in his case, he was very, he's always been very conscious of that. And I think that's, that's important as a leader. So yeah, I think, I think Obama is really um, somebody I look up to. Uh, more locally, I, I think, and uh, I, I think Ardern really. In, uh, when you look at what she's done in the, uh, in the, you know, definitely since this COVID outbreak, the actions that she's posed, I think her background is a lot in communication. And I, I continue to to think that as a leader, as leaders, we have to to hone in and and in, increase our communication skills. I don't think we ever do enough communication, and mm-hmm. and I think when when I look at how she communicates using different social media platforms, using the, the platforms that she have, the traditional and the social media platforms. I think she's able to actually, you know, work and, and, uh, and reach out to, to different strata of, of the population by using those different platforms. And I think that's very savvy. And again, she communicates extremely well. And I think that's, uh, that's good. Her, her decisions as, as any leader might not be always the popular ones. But what I find is important is, is she's able to actually back up her decisions with rationale and put it in ter- terms that people can understand may not be in agreement mm-hmm. with, but at least they understand. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that both of them are great communicators in the sense that they communicate well. And I think, you know, going back to mentors of mine in the past to talk about communicate, the leaders can communicate, few can connect. And I think both of them can connect because you, they're using different platforms. That's great. But it's actually, I think you using the word, we just said the rationale. I think it's if you can link it, make it relevant for the audience. They can get it and they can understand it. Then they go, okay, hmm. I, I get it now. That's why, which is good. As you said, may not agree with it, but at least it's been communicated in a way that people understand what's going on for them for sure. So the show is called Leadership is Changing as a title. Well, what does that mean for you when I when I say that title? Uh, well, it's ever evolving, obviously, uh, leadership. And I think it, it, it's evolving with what's happening around the world. Even when I look at the organization I'm, I'm leading, Cycling New Zealand, Obviously, we're we're a not-for-profit organization. The way we look at things changes. In fact, we're just finishing off. I'm just finishing off writing our our strategic plan uh, moving into twenty, you know, from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty eight. And it, it's always going to be a moving phase. We also always have to adapt with how people perceive what we should be doing, but also looking internally as how how we should be operating as as an organization. Again, a not-for-profit. When we look at it from from our standpoint. We've decided to actually step away from being uh, everything to everybody, 
as it's it's something that a, a lot of pe- a lot of organizations I think um, tend to to go down that rabbit hole of of, of wanting to be everything to everybody, and we've basically decided let's listen let's let's focus on one key area and and do it well, which is is more the sports the sporting side of the uh, the equation as as people might know. I mean, it's definitely during that this pandemic, especially when we were in lockdown in March here, uh, March and April, people took their to cycling a lot and and recreationally, which is great. I think the bike industry has uh, boomed since then. Bikes now on on are on back order. They they can't produce enough bikes uh, for people to actually get on and, and get fit and and entertain themselves through riding. But for us, it's been uh, you know it's a, it's a demographic. The recreational cyclist is not something that we've decided to actually target. Uh, we wanted to target more the high performance area, and high performance being the whole pathway from kids getting on bikes and starting to compete at school level to Olympic medalists and, and onward uh, to athletes that become professionals in their own right on professional teams, whether it be in Europe or North America or elsewhere. So we've changed a bit of our, our tact, if you will. It's a slight change, but it's still a change. And I think it's just because we have to actually have uh, an ear to the ground all the time and, and, and understand what our membership is looking for, what, what people in general are looking for as we being a service provider uh, to in a certain degree to the demographic that is that is cyclists, and and this is where we decide to, to actually hang our hat. More than likely, in in you know six, uh, four, five, six years time, we might actually change our tack. But I think, I think the leadership and the way you lead an organization is always going to change, and you have to be nimble enough to be able to adapt to uh, to the changes and and what the ecosystem is telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and listening to that ecosystem, I think is really important. I mean. You may have members, uh, other organizations may have customers and so forth. They really do need to listen to what the market is saying and, and what they need. How important do you think it is for organizations to revisit their strategy and how often do you think they should do, should revisit it? Oh, that's, a, that's I guess, the age-old question, isn't it? I think, yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think to a certain degree, there's, the, to me, you, you, you one, feel it if you're really in tune with your members and, and, and your, your staff. You feel it to a certain degree, but you know I, I think we're in sport, definitely in, in Olympic and Paralympic sport, we we operate on a quadrennial basis, and, and so so for us, it, it makes sense to be able to revisit it uh, every four years, to just do a sense check, I guess, every four years. When I, I took the helm of the organization, I looked at our past strategic plan, and, and I, I did feel that it needed to be re- revisited. I think it, in certain places is a bit antiquated and. It was probably really good at the time when it was pumped out and, and put forward, but I really felt that uh, we needed to revisit it and really bring in, you know, bring in a massive consultation period to actually get a better sense of what we do. So basically, it's uh, it's taken us 18 months to actually get to where we are right now, a uh, long drawn out process. But uh, I do think that because we actually did a lot of consultation, it'll be easier for people to to buy into to the strap plan when we mm. pump it out in, in about two months time. So. To answer your question, I think it's you a feel it if you're if you're really close to your your people, your staff, and your your membership. And I would say also if you um, you know every three to four years, I think is is probably a good timeline to actually revisit every time. Okay, great, thank you. So you talked about the cycling industry and especially out there where people are buying bikes. I'm I'm one of those. I mean, I just bought a uh, I bought a bike to be able to go out there and do more exercise and so forth, and which has been great. How has your business or industry, in other words, the cycling industry and that, how's that changed and what impact has it put on you or the organization? 
It's constantly changing. I mean, the uh, the industry in itself, from our standpoint, as we're more in the competitive realm, you know, the our international federation, the UCI, seems to be constantly trying to reinvent itself and find uh, ways to actually attract more and more members to uh, people to ride bikes, whether it be uh, recreationally or, or uh, in the sports sense. We have more and more disciplines that are popping up. Gravel bike is, is a big thing right now. It's almost like a cyclocross bike, a hybrid between a cyclocross bike and a road bike. That's really popular right now. So we're, we're looking at right now, organizers are looking to actually, uh, in New Zealand, trying to create a bit of that niche uh, niche sport or develop that niche niche sport so it becomes more of a current type of sport. We have e-racing. So electric electric bikes are coming on, on mm. the scene. Uh, last uh, two years ago, Mountain Bike World Championships hosted the first e-mountain bike uh, world championships. And, and we have to adapt. I mean, we, we have to adapt to those realities, you know, where, where we have to actually set up our, our rules and regulations or selection policies for our country and for people that want to uh, eventually go to world championships. BMX, uh, BMX is diversifying. So we have BMX racing that was introduced in 2008 at the Olympics in Beijing. But now we have, uh, you know, in Tokyo, should they happen, uh, hopefully they will. Uh, all that indicates that they will happen in July of, 20, uh, of this year, basically 2021. But now we have BMX freestyle. So that's coming on board, which is a judge sport. And, and cycling in general is not a judge sport. It's first across the line. First across the line gets the medal or they gets the gold medal and that's it. But now with the, uh, with the judge sport, it, it, it's kind of uh, changing a bit of how we, how we look at things. And it's up to us as an organization to decide whether or not we embrace sports uh, or, or cycling sports like freestyle and, and other sports that the UCI, our international uh, governing body, is, is supporting. But... We have to actually internally look at it as an organization and see, okay, well, is it something we want to embrace? We, again, going back to that we can't be everything to everyone, but what we want to do is, is excel in certain areas. We have to take a good hard look and see, okay, well, how do we contribute? Where do we support? Where do we partner? And where do we lead in, in certain areas? Great. That sounds like a huge amount of change and um, some really good things there going on for you and the organization. Now, the next question I've got for you is, you know, you can relate this to business. When I look at uh, organizations like yours, I mean, you are running it like a business because even though it is a not-for-profit, but it's an organization that's been run. And so if there was one thing that you could change in business as a leader today or in organizations as a leader today, what would that be? I think we underestimate um, the power of proper human resources, so HR. I think it's it's something that I, I found that, a lot of times, especially, I don't know how it is in, in more of the private sector, but definitely in the public sector uh, where we're reliant on, on government funding, federal funding, et cetera, we tend to overlook a lot of times. It's always the, uh, the last thing that you look at when identifying needs. And I think that that's something, uh, let's face it, all organizations are, are focused on people. Uh, we are all focused on people, how we manage people, how we enable people, how we empower people to actually do work and, and for their, their personal uh, development, but also for the development of the organization. It came to my attention, I guess, last year when, you know, we, we as an organization went through some rough changes or a rough patch in 2018, had a bit of a review. It's public, uh, the Heron Review. And where we had to actually change a bit of how, how we do, uh, how our, our policies had to be changed, the, the way we do business, the way we communicate, all that stuff had to be reviewed. And that's, I, I'm a, I would say I, I'm a bit of the result of, of that review. I came in afterwards and basically started implementing a lot of recommendations that came out of that review. 
And w- through those th- that implementation, I did realize that we're doing a good job, but could do a way better job as far as, as supporting our, our our people. And, and so, human resources, I think, is something that's uh, a lot a lot of time, many time overlooked, and it's it, it shouldn't be. It should be almost at the top of the uh, the pyramid of needs, if you will, or or, or what have you. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's something that I, that I hold hold uh, dear and. Uh, you know, we have to try and we're pushing uh, different levels of government to be able to uh, actually put that as as a higher need than what it is right now. Yeah, and I think even in the private sector, they do. We tend to sort of see a lot of uh, the human resource side, the people side of things get left. You know, they talk about the strategy, the stakeholders, the customer, oh, and people as well. And it's and it's always left to the last. And so I think that's pretty relevant right across uh, any industries, organisations for sure. Some do it really a lot better than others, which is really good to see, um, which is good. So talking about people, employees' expectations. Now, you and I know people, friends and that who are employees, and uh, we also know, you know, we may have been employees by ourselves in the past, but also we have people in our organizations as well. How has employees' expectations of leaders changed? I think it all has to do with, again, uh, as leaders, I think the expectation from the employee's point of view is again, doing what you say you would do. And, and I think that's the metric that a lot of employees would, uh, and, and, you know, vice versa. I mean, you know, I, I, a lot of times have sit downs with employees and, and I will call them out in some cases if they're, they're not actually on target with, with what they say they would do. So I think we're, we're constantly under, as mentioned before, constantly under the microscope and need, need to be very conscious that um, if we say we will do something, we do it, and if we can't, if we can't, we explain why. If there's a delay, we let them. We let people know that there is a delay. A lot of times, people, I think, people tend to do it, play a bit of the ostrich, put their head in the sand if they're not delivering on when when they should, said they would. And I think uh, for the most part, people are very uh, understanding if there's delays in, in in delivery. And and instead of no communication, it's better to over communicate to a certain degree and say, hey. Listen, I'm I'm a bit behind schedule here. This is my intent to bring back things back on schedule, and people understand. So it's it's uh, I think it's it's not a sign of weakness to to be able to say, hey, I'm 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 behind schedule. It's actually I think it's a, a sign of strength and to to be and, and a lot of times you know when you do open up, you you might actually get more people that that will help and, and support you. Even as leaders, I think we all we all need to be able to support each other and also uh, gain some support from from the staff that you have. It's fairly. Uh, it can be a lonely place being a leader at the top of a, of of an organization. Uh, but uh, I think you can. We can gain a lot of respect from our staff and from our employees if we're just very uh, increased communicate. If we increase our communication, and we're honest and transparent about what we do. Yeah, great. And I and I think the the, the important part that you're saying is doing what we say we were going to do is really important. If you don't know, tell them. And that I don't know, but I'm going to come back to you. The catch here, though, Jacques, is that a lot of people don't go back to them and then they get caught out and then people don't trust them anymore. The credibility goes out the window. So I think what you said before, right at the beginning of our episode here, we talked about Obama and Ardern and how they they, they communicate very well. And it's that communication, again, comes back to the same spa, space as you're saying and adding value in that way. Yeah. And and, and I think I think also, I mean, it's you know, when we do communicate what we uh, – it's a question of, of – I'm very conscious that people and most people have a, you know, their BS meter, they can detect BS very, very quickly. And so 
you want to be honest. I think that, that's the other thing, honest and transparent. And, and the more you do that, the more people re- respect what you do. So, yeah. Mm, yep. True. And uh, <laughs> you're right about the biggest meter for sure. They can, um, yeah, they can see right through you for sure. Hey, so what, what makes a leader successful in this fast paced ever changing world? Because it's happening so much. There's a lot of change and it's fast. So what makes a leader successful today? For me, and I'm probably going to go against what people, you know, the, this, the saying that a jack of all trades, a master of none is, is, a, is a bad thing. I think if I look at what I do in my organization, the organization I'm leading, I, I don't say like saying my organization, it's our organization. It's, it's the people's organization, it's the member's organization. I'm just leading it. I think from my standpoint, I'm not an expert in every, every field. I'm not an expert in marketing and communication, not an expert in finance. I know, I know a lot about high performance, but uh, I guess what I'm saying is, is as a leader, I think we have to be able to be open, open enough to adapt to the organization that you're, um, you're at the helm of and adapt and learn. I think we're always in a constant state of learning, whether it be in the traditional sense or whether it be just because we're very open to, to listening to what other people are saying. And I think it's, it's just high adapti- adaptability and high sense of, of listening and, and looking at, at what, and analyzing what's around you. I'm, I'm fortunate enough in the organization that, that I've, uh, I guess, inherited is I'm very lucky to have very passionate and very knowledgeable and professional people around me. And so my trust, the trust goes both ways. And I think I, you know, I trust the people that are, that uh, give me advice. You know, my, I still have a, you know, a BS meter going all the time, but I, I still also trust what the, what, what advice is given because I, I truly think that the people that, that give me advice or will come in and, and, um, and give a bit of their, what they, their, their sentiments are on, on a few things truly do it from the heart because they want the organization to succeed. And so when when somebody comes in my office and I do have an open door policy, and so I'll, I'll take a lot of time to uh, to listen to what people have to say. And I think moving forward, it's, it's always going to be that. It's going to be listening, communicating, a, and adapting to what you hear, and constantly adapting to what you, based on what you hear and actually actioning what, uh, what needs to be actioned based on that, those assessments. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. And I think the, yeah, I love what you're saying there about uh, listening, communicating and adapting and learning in a high performance area, like whether it's a high performance athlete, a high performance uh, leader or a high performance team or organization, how important is it for them to be open to adapting and learning? Very important. Very important. Uh, and and I think the adaptation and the learning, as I mentioned before, it's, it's there's two ways of doing it. In my sense, it's uh, you actually feel it and you actually adapt uh organically, if you will. And, and other times you I basically have to learn and, and adapt through, through more of the traditional sense and more, more, you know, getting these, um, the education that you need to and going out there and getting more more of that knowledge, uh, you know, in the more traditional sense. But in the high performance area, I think it, it, you have to be nimble. You have to be adaptive to the environment. You have to be in tune with the ecosystem that's, that's there. It is, uh, I will say, being in New Zealand and uh, literally being an island in the South Pacific, you it is a bit harder in some cases. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but we tend to in, in, in cycling. Cycling is as much as people would, would say that uh, they're trying to globalize cycling. It is still in sports sports sense. It's still a very Eurocentric sport, which means that there is a need to be in Europe a lot more, and there's a, a need to be to, to understand how the the sport is evolving and how it's uh, uh, and the problem that we have right now, obviously, because we can't really travel all that much. 
is that there's that sensory way of picking up things that's not there anymore or is less there. So from a yep. sense, sensory standpoint, we're not advantaged, uh, I guess, at this point, which, which is important. To me, it's important, but I mean, we'll, we'll, there, I don't, we'll find some solution. We're finding some solutions. But when you look at the Olympics coming up, one big thing is, is when you look at the Euro- Europeans, rightly or wrongly, racing is still going on, even, even though there's a raging pandemic going on. Athletes are still very, very much uh, cyclists in general are still very much used to the, that competitive feeling of, of being able to race and, and understanding and knowing your competition. We're right now in a situation where, yes, we're in, a, we're in the safest country in the world right now from a pandemic standpoint, but uh, it does have its, its setbacks where we can't, we can't travel as much as we should. And rightfully so, we shouldn't be anyway, as far as I'm concerned. But we, we do have to pick up on other ways that we can actually stay up in the, in the game and, and uh, one up on, on everybody else as much as possible. So it, it, it does mean that we have to be more creative, more uh, innovative, innovative uh, in, that, in that sense, uh, considering you know, the, the environment that we're in right now. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, some good points there. So if I get you to get your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future here, where, where do you see leadership being in five years? I actually think it's 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 just again human resources again people focusing on people people is the key you can't run an organization without people you have to be able to nurture those people as much as possible and and listening so again I think it's uh, from a from a leadership standpoint if I look at my example as a CEO the jack of all trades I think I, I truly believe that that's something that we need to uh, continue embracing in a way because we we you know um, being being an expert everywhere there's no you can't be an expert everywhere you have to be able to actually adapt to different environments so i think uh, i think it's more increasing that communication uh, more engaging with with your your staff the the staff is really what what keeps keeps the, the organization going you know a lot of times right now especially in this in sport we're talking about wellness which is a great thing athlete wellness staff wellness etc that's very important i think there's there's a big risk that we go and we tip the scale totally to the other side where we, we, are, uh, we are, are, I guess, enabling or actually too, too nurturing. I think uh, if we're, we can't, there's a risk of us, uh, of organizations being nurturing their, their staff and their, their athletes in this case uh, too much, whereas they become a bit, it's, uh, they, 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 especially in, in, sta- in the athlete standpoint, where in some cases st- athletes can, eventually not be able to cope and, and adapt as well if, if you nurture them too much. So there's a fine line to be drawn and, and uh, it's a hard hard line to, to try and find where that fine line is. But nonetheless, I think, uh, you know, circling back, I think the, you know, in, in supporting our, our people is, is probably the best, best thing to do in moving forward, increasing that support and finding ways to actually support, nurture and, and help, uh, help, help staff in general uh, and employees grow. Yep, great. So people are key to any organization succeeding. So team, uh, if you haven't gone out and bought a bike, go out and buy a bike, go out and get some cycling into and look after yourself some wellness there. Thank you, Jacques, for joining us on today's show. Hey, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Well, um, I think the best best place is probably my LinkedIn profile, uh, Jacques Landry, so J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, Landry, L-A-N-D-R-Y probably the best best way to, to get get hold of me I, I am on other social media jay landry coach through twitter instagram etc but i think linkedin is probably the best best uh means of getting hold of me for sure great thank you so Jacques, thank you once again for being on the show today thanks dennis it was my pleasure yeah awesome hey listeners what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant 
change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes if, uh, as they're being released. Sorry, download them. Have a listen and put a review and a rating. Share them with your friends, your family, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me, feel free to send me a message. Or if there's any questions you have for my guests or for me on the Ask Dennis episode, send me an email at dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. If you haven't already checked out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, go ahead and do that. And if you haven't checked out the Leadership is Changing page on LinkedIn, go ahead and do that as well and feel free to join those different groups. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in today. It's always great to be with you. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 